Welcome to A Time to Thrill. This is your host, Amy Austin. Today, I have the great pleasure of interviewing USA Today bestselling author, Kim Golden. Um, In the beginning of this podcast, I guess uh, you'll hear Kim and I try to figure out when we met. Um, I actually... I met her in person in Italy in 2018 or 19. I'm sure I said on here. I just don't remember. However, we collaborated, I think, on a project um, 2014, 2015. I, I think we discussed it. And uh, whenever I collaborate on a project, I usually read the other author's books. Um, however, we're doing the project bundle, uh, some kind of group marketing project of some kind or another. And um, I found her books delightful. So what I read, um, I had to go check my Amazon and I think I bought them in like 2015 or 2016. And they were different in a way, um, or I don't want to say different, non-traditional. So they are, you know, standard uh, male-female romances, um, interracial romances, some of them. But they were set in Sweden or Denmark, at least the ones I read. And I, (laughs) I don't know, Northern Europe is sort of a mystery to me. I mean, I've spent some time there, but I mostly spend my time in uh, Central Europe or Western. So it is always a joy to read about places that I have spent little time and uh, her books were delightful, especially since um, I'm slightly obsessed with the uh, summer solstice up there where it doesn't get dark. And I think she addresses that in one of the books. But it always seems so delightful and maybe romantic. I'm not sure. Um, but Kim writes about that. And I really enjoy her perspective. Um, she's American. She's from Philadelphia. But she has lived in Sweden for the last 25 years. And she'll talk about that. So clearly the last 25 years of her life have gone much differently than mine, where I've spent the majority of them of mine in uh, Los Angeles and, uh, well, Europe part-time. But it is a spectacular conversation and the other thing I did want to highlight, because I'm not sure if I talked about this, um, her latest release um, is a book called Near Enough to Hold. It's kind of such a pretty cover. I like pretty covers. Um, and that's available uh, wherever you get your ebooks. So let's dive into this talk with Kim Golden. I think you'll enjoy it and her as much as I do and her completely unique life story. Okay, hi. I'm sorry, we're la- I shouldn't be laughing. We're already talking. Uh, hi, this is Amy Austin, and welcome to A Time to Thrill. Today, I'm speaking with USA Today bestselling author Kim Golden. Hello, Kim. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm good. I'm, you know, it's like I'm sitting here in, in Sweden, and the sun set maybe two hours ago, so it's actually dark right now, but pretty soon, we're going to have almost 24 hours of light. Oh, I wanted to do that. Oh, you see, oh, now I'm sad because last summer, <laughs> well, no, I completely forgot. So like a friend of mine um, in 2019 went to some music festival in mm-hmm. Sweden in the summer, like some summer solstice type festival. Mm-hmm. And it sounded interesting. And I thought, oh, in 2020, I'll go do that. And mm-hmm. obviously I did not, but because um, he made it sound super interesting. Um mm-hmm. 
but uh, well, whatever. I obviously didn't do that. Anyway, so Kim and I were actually just talking because I have met Kim in person. We met in Italy in 2019, but I don't, I can't recall how I first came across you and neither could you. So I don't know. Um, But I did check my Amazon today. So because I've read your books and I couldn't remember, but Amazon always lovingly provides the date that you purchased it. (laughs) So I purchased the books in 2016 and 2017. So that was obviously at some point in 2016, somebody must have said something and I read them. Um, But I'm pretty sure that you and I have been in contact with one another since before. Right, but I just nothing, but nothing in my head, like literally. And, then, and the only thing that I can can think of is like, it, it was either NaNoWriMo or it was in one of these like Facebook groups for writers. That's the oh, only thing I maybe. can think of. Wait, wait, wait! Did you do a bundle? Like, did you do a beach bundle? Um, I was supposed to, and then I dropped out of it because of like some stuff that was going on at my old job. So maybe that was like 2014 or 15. And maybe okay. it was that because I did do a beach bundle and that's what I think because I read everybody's book. So I would have bought mm-hmm. them all. And yeah. maybe it was that. That could be it. <laughs> I, I literally don't know. It could, because I know like uh, the, if if it's the, the one that told your candle. Yes. Yes. Then that was the one I think uh, Liz was involved with. That. Yes. Okay. So it's 2015. Yes. <laughs> Fairway. I there got it. Go. Oh my so god! It was it was Liz? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're talking about Lisa Marie Rice, who is an author who writes romantic suspense and lives in Italy. So when I met Kim in person, or met you in person, um, it was um, she had done a, a a small writing conference, and she does them often, actually, for different yeah. reasons, like women's fiction or indie uncon or brainstorming. But yeah. she has them where she lives in Matera, Italy. And it's delightful and lovely. And she had asked me many times to go down. And for some reason, it seemed difficult. And then, of course, like I bought a ticket for like $50 and got on a plane at Budapest and got off at Bari. And that was it. Like it wasn't some complicated <laughs> scheme. It was literally like 90 minutes. You know? <laughs> and you're like, why did it seem so hard? Like sometimes I just don't understand that. But OK, so I have so many questions for you. Um, Ask away. So, I'm an open book. So one of the things that fascinates me about you is that you moved to Europe in, okay, what I want to say is 25 years ago, but I've lost a year. So yeah, it's more no, than it's, that. Yeah, it is. 26 years. Yeah, I lost a year. Everything I'm doing <laughs> is like off by one year. Um, like 25 years ago, which is fascinating because it's something I've wanted to do and then I toy with off and on and then I spend some time there. Um, and I have residency and all that, but it's just, I go back and forth and I never make a good decision. Um, <laughs> I'm still thinking about it now because I'm thinking about, do I want to buy another house in the U.S.? And then it's hard to think about not having two places, but that's neither here nor there. So what prompted you to go to Sweden? I mean, love. I know. <laughs> just love. I that's so funny. It's always love or money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unless it's war, but war is not going to be an option in this conversation. <laughs> So it's usually love or money. But yeah. how did you meet your husband then? Oh, my God. It, it was so, so long ago. Um, back in 1992, I think it was. Uh, wait, let me just count. Yeah, it was 92. I was in grad school. Okay. And uh, we were both like, well, it started off that, uh, you know, this was in the early days of everybody being online and uh yeah. I was working in the computer lab at the school that I was uh working on my MFA in 
And uh, all of us had to work in the computer lab as a part of our assistantship. Oh, and okay. I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about computers except for how to use Microsoft Word and WordPerfect right. and how to <laughs> load the printer, which was okay because my, you know, the, the freshmen who were coming to the computer lab didn't know much more either. So, uh, you know, I, uh, most of the time, all I had to do was just go around Show them like, yeah, just move the mouse. There you go. Your screen's back <laughs> up again. And uh, and then the rest of the time, it was just like waiting for people who maybe had questions about like, uh, you know, grammar questions or writing questions because we also worked in the writing center. Oh, and anyway, okay. so yeah. since I didn't have that much to do other than move my, my computer mouse around and uh, refill the printer. Uh, some friends introduced me to chat rooms on uh, online, and so I ended up meeting him through that. And oh just, wow! And we started talking, and and it was like this. Uh, you know, I I don't think either of us was thinking that this is going to lead to anything, right? And uh, then, but then it did. And so, it was, <laughs> you know, I, it was. I yeah. I mean, I was like when we we first started talking to each other, it was just about music and books and sci-fi and things like that. So nothing like you know earth shattering or anything. But then it was just like you know how you kind of get this feeling that this person is really interesting and I want to get to know them better. Yes. And and then, you know, he had started talking about like how he was planning on coming over, and then through like being online we we knew a lot of the same people so then when he decided he was coming over then I was like okay well let's meet up oh wow and then we did and it was love at first sight and it was just been the two of us since then that's so fascinating because people obviously meet now online as well with mixed results depending um on whether they're you know honest about their online persona but I remember the chat room days because I um I used to hang out in the computer. You made me think about it. I haven't thought about it in ages. In <laughs> undergrad, um, I graduated in 93. And I remember, like, I don't know what I did there. But it, it did feel like it was just, like, people loading printer paper and showing people how to use Gopher. And that's, like, yes. basically. <laughs> and listservs, which I hadn't thought about in Yes, any. those too. And going yes. into IRC. Yes. If you remember that. Yes, Internet Relay. I remember. Yes. I used to chat with people from around the world on there. I did too, but I haven't, well, I did, obviously didn't get married that way, but I just, um, I haven't, <laughs> like, I literally haven't thought about it. You know how I was thinking this to somebody else. It's not that I forget things. It's just that I don't think about everything all the time, obviously. Yeah. But now you've reminded me of the whole thing. I can see it in my head. It's fascinating. But how did you decide to move to Sweden? Because, so you and I know several people probably because of the way we live like I know a lot of people who um have relocated or who live in Europe um Mm -hmm. recently like I don't know if you know Tamari you must have met her yes of course you did she was in Italy she just um got her resident permanent residency for the UK so she's Mm -hmm. staying um but they moved to Scotland three four five years ago something like that um and you look Nancy Warren well she goes back and forth but there's a number of authors we know who either go back and forth or have relocated and It's an interesting, I mean, I know a lot of expats, obviously, because the more you know, the more you know, but mm-hmm. did you, did people in your family or did you find it like daring or adventurous or I don't know what the right words are to do that um, in the nineties before there was internet and the, like a vast amount of knowledge about oh places gosh. in the world? Yeah. I mean, it was like, uh, I knew some uh, Danish and Swedish students at uh, VCU. So it was like when I started asking them about like, okay, what's life like there? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, they, they were pretty open about it and, and the, it didn't seem like it was that difficult to live there. And then, you know, my husband had told me a lot about it anyway and before I moved here. And then I'd come over a couple of times on vacation. Mm-hmm. So I knew, you know, I, I, whenever I would come over to visit him, it was like I would stay for a month. Okay. And so I had a chance to like get, you know, just immerse myself in it. Right. But it was, you know, it's different when you're coming as a as a tourist. Yes. And as opposed to actually moving here. And then when it was time, you know, he asked me if I could consider coming over here and giving it a try for a while. And I thought, like, why not? Because, I mean, we were both, you know, we knew that the the reality of trying to keep a long distance relationship going was going to be difficult. At some point, one of us was going to have to move to where the other one was. And I right. knew that it was probably easier for me to move to Sweden than it was for him, especially since he he was in the middle of his PhD program and he'd okay. already looked into seeing like could he transfer to an American university uh, that was uh, working with the same research project that right. he was doing and and it was going to be complicated and I said to him well don't worry about it I can make the move because I'm nearly done with my right. MFA and I knew like okay either I try to find a job in the states but I have to find one that's going to pay well enough so that I can actually continue flying over to visit. Right. Or I'm going to have to find one that has really, really generous uh, <laughs> vacation. Right. And, uh, and I knew the reality of that was, was not going to, you know, it was not going to happen. Right. And so, um, but anyway, I can, you know, I, I went ahead and I applied for um, a Swedish residency permit based on us having a relationship, but I still felt like I needed to have a backup plan. So mm-hmm. I went ahead and continued applying for jobs in the States. And so then it was, um, but I kept thinking to myself, like, if I want to have this relationship, there's no way we're going to be able to continue doing this right. on a long distance basis. And I just decided, okay, even if I get offered a job in the States, I'll just say no to it and go to Sweden based on when I get my residency permit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, I mean, at the time when I told everybody I was going to move to Sweden, I think most people didn't think I was actually going to do it. Oh, that's not, that often happens to me. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And people are like, okay. And then it happens. And they're like, but, and I'm like, but I said. <laughs> yeah. And the thing was, I mean, like a lot of people, they were just like, oh, but he's just a summer fling. And it's like, yeah, but it's been going on for two and a half years now. So I think it's more than a fling. Right. And uh, and then my my parents were mostly worried about, well, what if something happens to you over there and we're so far away? Right. And, uh, you know, and it's not like I came from a wealthy family or anything. So I, I understood why they were worried. But I also said to them, you know, well, and anything can happen to me wherever I am. I mean, if even if I stay in the States, right. I could get a job that's not in Pennsylvania. Right. I could be in California or I could be in Arizona or whatever. And you might not be able to help me. Right. So it it doesn't really make that big of a deal. And 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 then I, I remember joking with my mother, going, Well, Sweden is neutral, so there's no not likely to be a war there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like a war is gonna keep me from coming to visit you or anything like that. But that still didn't like make my mother feel very um warm and fuzzy. You know, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I mean yeah. she and the thing was she likes my husband a lot. She always did, but she was also just really worried about me moving overseas and I think it was also because my mom and I are really close I mean even though there were three of us 
it, I think I was the one that she was like, you know, we talked to each other quite often and, and, uh, and she, you know, we, we were always just like more like friends with one another more than mother and daughter once I got to be a little bit older. Right. And, uh, and so then anyway, I came to, I just made this decision, like if I'm moving for love and, and it, you know, I'm going all in. And if it doesn't work out, like if I feel like after a certain amount of time that I feel like I can't adjust to this, I can always move back home again. But I went into it not thinking like I'm going to have like this backup plan for moving back home. I did. I had a one way ticket. Wow. Okay. I just decided like it's no point in me buying a a, a round trip ticket if I if I feel like because that that's like saying I want to go home. Right. I'm no. going to go in and I'm going to like give it my one you know 100 percent and see what happens. So I do. That's what I did. I do truly believe in going all in because, especially right. when when one is younger and has far fewer responsibilities, there's no, there's pretty much no downside. Um, no, exactly, exactly. I mean, and and then, I don't understand when I meet people who are like too afraid to do that and they're still in their early twenties. It's like you have nothing stopping you. No, there's no down. There's really no downside. You're going to get an experience of some kind, yeah. and it'll be it'll be a growth experience of some kind in some way. But it'll be it's the people I know who've done that, and even if it hasn't worked out, it has it has changed them in a good way. Yeah. Like it's just expanded a lot of what they think about the world or themselves yeah. or relationships yeah. or whatever. One of those three things, um, or all of them, to be frank. Um, so, how did you learn Swedish? Uh, well, when you when you move to Sweden, uh, the government offers free Swedish classes. Oh, so does so Germany. Was, <laughs> so that was what I started with, and uh, but I didn't really like them. Um, I felt like they were too slow. But I think it was because of where in Stockholm I lived. Um, we were right outside of Stockholm in one of the suburbs, and most of the people who were in the same Swedish group as me were uh, a lot of them were, were refugees and asylum seekers who couldn't read in and write in their home language. Oh. So, and there I was, um, you know, I had my master's degree and everything, and right. I was in a group with people who were functionally illiterate. Right, that's a whole And my Swedish yeah. teacher was expecting me to help them learn how to read, but I, I said to her, how am I supposed to do that when I don't even know how to speak Swedish yet right so that was when I decided to take um instead of just going to these courses um and feeling like I wasn't learning thing anything fast enough I decided to uh just drop out of that class and focus on trying to learn as much Swedish as I could on my own wow. and at that time there was this uh free newspaper called Metro which I think they still have in the states but we don't have it anymore Sweden, but it started in Sweden. And uh, I would just, you know, I was going into town anyway to do other things. So I would pick up a free copy of Metro. I had my Swedish to English dictionary and I would try to read as much in Metro as I could in mm. these, you know, because the articles were quite short and they were usually pretty easy to read. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of these like false friends between Swedish and English. So you can almost figure out like if, even if you don't understand Swedish at all. Right. Uh, because Swedish and English have the same base of, and almost the same proportion of being Germanic and Latin based. Ah, uh, okay. Then you can sort of figure out a lot of it, and uh, and so that helped. And then my father-in-law at that time was um, he had been laid off from his job, so he was at home, and I was at home looking for a job, 
And so we were hanging out together all the time. And so I was always like, Lefe, what does this mean? Lefe, what does this mean? <laughs> and so he started teaching me Swedish. And then uh, I, you know, I was also watching Swedish soap operas, which are right. great for learning a language. <laughs> so I learned all this great Swedish slang and everything. And, uh, and I started learning the, all the inflections of the language and everything. And then that, su- that first summer that I was there, I decided, okay, now I feel like I have a, a, enough of a vocabulary, but I'm still like struggling with trying to speak Swedish. So I signed up for an intensive uh, Swedish uh, class at a community college. Mm-hmm. And that really helped. So uh, one, I, I did a couple of those, and then they had these adult education classes that you could do where where you could um uh it was mostly for people who were maybe they had dropped out of high school and wanted to get the Swedish equivalent of a GED okay. or maybe uh you just wanted to like you know increase your skill set for the you know uh for work or whatever and so I just decided okay I'm going to try the Swedish classes here so I did several of those Mm-hmm. Uh, and that helped me with not only speaking Swedish, but also being able to write in Swedish, because I think a lot of people, they learn how to speak Swedish and they learn how to read Swedish, but they don't learn how to write in Swedish. Oh, this is so interesting. I think about this um, because of the, I have a similar sort of situation in Hungarian, but yes, yes, yes. The writing, it's the writing, reading and speaking. I mean, it's three yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it's like, I mean, I still wouldn't say that I'm great at writing in Swedish, but I'm better at it than a lot of other Americans who live mm-hmm. here, who maybe only learn. And I, I think that was one of the things that was really important to me that I, I wanted to learn enough Swedish so I could feel like I could come into society better. Because mm-hmm. even if everyone here speaks English and you can get by, you know, really the whole time you live here, never speaking Swedish mm-hmm. because uh, they start learning English already in kindergarten. Right. So unless you meet somebody who's quite old, everybody speaks English here. And, uh, but you don't really feel like you come into society if you don't know a little bit of Swedish. This is so interesting. Can I, I will tell you this story. So I, um, so Hungary's behind in that sense that, um, well, they had a different situation being on the other side of the Iron Curtain. So people um, in the beginning learned uh, Russian, um, mm-hmm. obviously, or German, depending on when, depending on their age and mm-hmm. the politics of the time. Yeah. Um, and they're only now coming into the whole um, idea of learning English. So when I first went there, like, let's say 2012, Mm-hmm. nobody spoke English not nobody but it was pretty it was limited and it's actually exploded now because they started teaching people so people who are like I don't know 25 and under um, mm-hmm. speak more English not a lot but more mm-hmm. uh, but they also speak German because that's a different they always have, they have a different demographic yeah. but what is interesting is that so I don't speak English to anybody pretty much mm-hmm. and I went to the butcher like well not last year maybe the year before and I was ordering some kind of food it doesn't matter and so the butcher, like years ago, um, he, it's a local butcher, like corrected me in my pronunciation of the word for ribs or something else. And so every so often he'll correct my pronunciation of some word or whatever, but he does it cheerfully. I mean, it's not, you know, mm-hmm. bad at all. And so I was there buying whatever I was buying and getting him to cut it however I wanted to cut it. And some American walks up behind me and orders in English. And I look at the butcher and I was like, you speak English? He was like, you never asked. <laughs> so surprised (laughs) I was like (laughs) and I was like oh okay Um, 
So I think now, because I pay a little bit more attention, because I was so in my own head, like, okay, like, what am I going to ask for? And to be honest, the biggest problem I have, at least in, in terms of food buying, is mm-hmm. um, translating weight. Because I have yeah. to think about English to metric. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that actually hook, hangs me up more so than the, the words themselves. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, you want a kilo? I'm like, well, do I really want two pounds? Why do I make two pounds of everything? That seems like so much. And I have like all these thoughts <laughs> in my head, which have nothing to do with the thing I need. <laughs> So that's like, I get stuck there and people are like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm trying to think of how much I need. Like, cause you know, cause cooking, but it's yeah. just, um, but I realize now, like maybe in the last year or so, the number of people who speak English is, is grown a lot. And I know a mm-hmm. number of expats who've lived there for years, 10, 15 years who don't speak any Hungarian. Um, mm-hmm. And my Hungarian tutor, I just talked to him about an hour ago, but he's always like really surprised. He's like, how do, he's like, how do they get along? I'm like, well, they don't really travel much. Like you can't travel out of town. Yeah. Not at all. Um, and I, I, but I think it's also like, I mean, I see it here in stock. Well, I'm, I'm not in Stockholm anymore. I'm right. in Southern Sweden, but I mean, when I was living in Stockholm, all, uh, you know, the first year I was there, I, I joined the American women's club and in, so, and it's been really great to be a member mm-hmm. in AWC because I mean, there were those times when you're so homesick mm-hmm. and you just need that connection. And it's been great for that. And and then also, I, I really love their Thanksgiving luncheon because, like, you know, then you don't have to make your own turkey. Right. <laughs> the, the embassy chef did it, or you know, in the beginning, uh, we had everything at the American embassy, and now now we go to they usually have it at different hotels and everything. But anyway, um, I mean, it was it was great for that. But I also remember being so surprised by the number of women I met there, who just never bothered to learn Swedish because maybe they came to Sweden because their husband's uh, job, job. transferred yep. there yeah. or they were working and uh, and the reason that they were hired was because uh, they were native speakers of English and they just didn't see the point in it because they didn't think they were going to be in Sweden that long mm-hmm. and I felt like well I didn't know at that time I wasn't sure how long I was going to be there but I still felt like I wanted to learn the language so I, 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 I don't understand when people just insulate themselves so much that they only stick to other Americans because I what I noticed was as nice as it was to meet all these women at AWC there was always like that group who just wanted to sit around and complain about living in Sweden and how much they missed the states and I didn't miss the states oh my god this is so similar because there's a thing so in Hungary it's called NAWA which is North American Women's Association Mm -hmm. um so it's Americans and Canadians um because there's a large Hungarian population Canada moved after the Hungarian revolution in 56 different conversation Mm -hmm. but so there's a so it's Eh, it's not 50 50 because Canada doesn't have the population but it's true and people like they're there and I'm just so surprised because I'm like you've been here 10 years or 15 years like at some point you just gotta not even commit to learning the language just commit to being here and, and it being okay because yeah. their lives yeah. generally are, are quite fine I mean yeah they have like nicer apartments than the local population and things like that it's mm-hmm. but it's interesting because that's this it's a similar sort of mindset so it's either people who work at multinational corporations teach English their husbands work at multinational corporations or well, there's always some outliers, yeah. but it's, but that's, it's the, it's a very similar mindset. I, maybe it's an expat mindset to be frank. I um, think it is. And it's, it's, it's just this uh, attitude of like not being willing to commit mm-hmm. to the fact that, I mean, and especially like for the ones who have kids here mm-hmm. and their kids speak Swedish. So the kids almost have a secret language Yes, because the parent, you know, or at least the mother doesn't, 
speak English. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that I don't understand. Um, and I think like, for example, even if doctors here in Sweden speak English and, you know, I don't necessarily need to speak Swedish to mm -hmm. get good medical care here. Right. But I also know that speaking Swedish makes it easier for me when I'm trying to describe for them, for example, what's going on or how I feel. And, and they're more likely to ask me more questions. I have found that to be true. I think that's true. Because I seek a yeah. lot of medical care there because I can, because it's free um, yeah. or whatever, 30, whatever it is a month. But like, um, yes, and that's true because I have found that if I ask for something in English, like I'll get like a, an answer, but it'll be a pretty short answer. Yeah. But then if they yeah. ask me in Hungarian, then I can they end up looking for more nuance which I exactly. find helpful like when I need like I had a rash last year but whatever it doesn't matter when I need more nuance um, no but I, it, it's true I mean it's like I think back to when I was having some stress related issues and uh, the first time I went to the doctor about it I spoke English with her and she didn't ask me that many in-depth questions mm -hmm. um, she just prescribed some medication to me right and told me, you know, like, oh, well, if you don't feel better in a certain amount of time, come back. Right. And then the next time I saw her, then I just decided, okay, I'll speak Swedish with her. I wasn't sure what all the terms were called in Swedish, so mm -hmm. I looked them up. And right. then I just, you know, I I told her, like, okay, let, let's just do this in Swedish. If I can't remember the words for this in Swedish, I'll say it in English. And she was fine with that. And then I actually got better care. And that happened to me as well. Actually, on a return visit, and then the return visit, I was just like, I'm just gonna broach it. But what I do, to be frank, is I my my tutor will I will visit him or he will visit me, whatever, right before mm -hmm. I have that kind of appointment, and then we'll go over all the terminology that I need for like mm -hmm. random things, like it, it, because they have different words for like whatever different medical yeah. things that happen to you, um, yeah. which are not uh, I don't say not logical. You would not figure them out necessarily because. <laughs> Because I don't know, because it's not something I think about um, often. It's not the same as ordering food or getting on the bus. So, <laughs> or like getting my kid at camp or paying for something. I mean, there's like so many things that are much easier than that. Um, yeah. And you do every day as opposed to going to the doctor, which is not every day, hopefully. Um, sure. So it's, it is, it was interesting getting completely different care. It was an ENT, I think, getting completely different care um, mm -hmm. the second time. And I thought, okay, so I think from here on out, I'm just going to try it in the other one. And if it doesn't work out, I will ask. Because there's always somebody who can, who will generally speak English, who can explain. Exactly, it. exactly. But it's, and um, I interesting. think it's, yeah. But I, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's one of those things. Like, uh, as soon as I started just doing everything in Swedish when it came to healthcare, things became so much easier. And yeah. so, like, when I speak to other expats here, and they are always complaining about like the Swedish system without thinking about the fact that. Okay, yes, you know, there are certain times when you have to wait for things like, you know, you, they'll tell you you have to be in the queue for it or whatever. Right. It's It still goes pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but because they can't get it right there and then, you know, like they would in the States. Right. Without thinking that, yeah, you'd get it right then and there in the States. But you'd often have to pay like a shitload of money. <laughs> yes, I just did it last it. week. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's there's still no guarantee that what you're getting is actually what you need need yes and and so um and and then i i think back to some of the experiences i've had with doctors in the states and yes in some cases things did happen faster and i was much more satisfied with like the bedside manner of the doctor or whatever because i mean here they can be just pretty matter of fact about everything it's just oh yeah it's this 
No, in Hungary, they're very brusque. I will say that. We call it brusque. It's just sort of like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, they, you know, Swedes don't do chit-chat, you know? So it's like, uh, and and once you accept that you're not, they're not going to sit there and start asking you questions about your parents and, you know, and and how's your kid and how's your dog and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. They're just going to get down to, like, whatever's the problem. Right. Then, then everything is fine. But I think a lot of Americans that move here, especially in the beginning, they want everything to be the way it is in the States without thinking, like, you don't live there anymore. No, I, It's not going to be that way. I actually and read, I went through yeah. that period, like, for a couple, it was like two years it took me to accept it. And then once I accepted it, I was just like, yeah, okay, this is fine. I can deal with this. But you have to kind of let go of that. Like, I had to let go of the fact that when I go into a restaurant in Sweden, now that, you know, the service is much better when you go to restaurants right. here. But when I first moved here in the 90s, you know, you could like sit there thinking that the waiter or waitress is going to give you a certain level of service because that's what you're used to in the States because, you know, they're underpaid. Right. And they tipping. want to tip. Right. But here they get paid a living wage. Right. So they don't have to like make that extra effort. Right. Unless that's part of the profile of the restaurant. Correct. Yes. You know, and and this whole thing, and then I realized too, like I mean, I used to be a waitress. I remember how people almost made you feel like you had to like grovel at their feet, right? When they'd come into a restaurant, and I realized like I don't want to be treated like that. No, and I don't want any waiter or waitress thinking that they have to behave that way. I do, however, think that if I asked them for a glass of water, that they should actually bring me a glass <laughs> of water, and I shouldn't have to keep reminding them about it. So it's like little things like that. Right. Uh, but you know the. The service level, as I said, it's 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 improved leaps and bounds. I think mostly because Swedes are even more, more well traveled now than they used to be, and they've seen what the service level is that people expect in other countries, and they've started to adapt to that. Yeah, that's so. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, I think like living here, it's quite easy to live here. Um, you just have to accept that. I think when you move to Sweden, like because Swedes speak such good English and because they don't really look that different from Americans other than being taller and more fit. Right. Um, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> people just sort of think that, Oh, life is going to be exactly like the States, uh, but it's not because this is a social democracy here. Right. So people think about sort of the society first and themselves second. No, it's Whereas interesting. in the States. Yeah. It's like the complete opposite. It's like me, me, me. And then something happens and they're like, no, you know, okay, now I want the government to take care of it. Right. Whereas here it's like, yes, yeah, so of course the government takes care of us and something goes wrong. And it's like, yes, and the government still keeps taking care of us. No, this is so interesting because I, I always say, and actually I think my tutor provides this. Um, sometimes I don't know so much need a translator as I need like a cultural interpreter. Like, mm-hmm. can you tell me, like, I'm interested in achieving X. Can you tell me like how I can do it? And it's, mm-hmm. it's never like how I would do it here. So I just need like the information and to figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. and actually I'm thinking about it now cause I'm thinking about if I go this summer, how am I going to get, uh, they have a vaccine card and I was going to like, how am I going to get my vaccine card translated mm-hmm. into that vaccine card so I can go places. But that's, but that's the thing that's, it's figure outable. It's just not obvious or maybe it's yeah. obvious for everybody else. It's just obvious for me. <laughs> I'm like, which government, my, my son looks at me, he goes, well, just, you know, he's like, you just figure out which government office you go to. And I'm like, I know, I know. Um, and my son is actually much more fluent than I am and his pronunciation so much better than mine. Uh, <laughs> and he makes fun of me all the time, including this morning. <laughs> cause he, cause he hears me on the phone, like Skyping with the um my tutor and he's like oh mommy 
And I was like, I, you know, I was like, I, I try. He was like, yeah, yeah, you try. <laughs> um, so I have to ask you because I think that, so I, so I did click on Amazon today to see, because Amazon tells you when you bought a book, not necessarily when you read it. Um, mm-hmm. But I bought, at least I, I, ugh, I don't know, whatever, the, is it maybe this time, that series, the three, the trilogy? I guess I'll say yeah, that. Yeah, it's a, the maybe series. So you have like a, in the books that are about Lainey and Mads, it's three. Mm-hmm. And then there's a standalone in the series that is about her cousin. It's the cousin, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I call it the cousin book. That's what it is in my head. <laughs> no, I literally, like, I'm going to get on this call. I should probably look at this. And I was like, but what's the cousin book? Um, <laughs> so I have so yeah. many questions about that because generally, yes. okay, so I don't write um, IR romance generally. I mean, I've written mm-hmm. one, but it's just as a group of people so it is what it is but not Mm -hmm. specifically to that audience um Mm -hmm. and i don't know do you consider yourself like an um an ir author which is usually when when i say this um for people who are not in this usually that means um sorry let me think about the combination black men and white men um books um fairly specifically um as a i don't know as a trope or as a subgenre um and to me, your books are more like travel books, more like the kind of books I used to read when I was a kid where romances took place abroad. Um, yeah. And I was reading for two different reasons, one for the romance and one to see what other people are doing, you know, outside of the <laughs> U.S. Because I'm like, what are they doing out there? Um, yeah. But do you consider yourself like an IR author? I mean, I think uh, in some ways I do and in some ways I don't. Mostly oh. because I think that uh, since most of my books are taking place here in Europe, mm-hmm. I'm I'm more writing about the black woman abroad right. experience, mm-hmm. and the fact that the men in the books end up being mostly are are generally European men. It's uh yeah it's. I start well I guess I can say when I first started off I thought I'm gonna write an IR romance because okay. I'd read Sandra Kitt's book Color of Love and I loved it. Okay, and it was the first time that I'd read a book that was like a romance. That was IR. And since I was in an interracial relationship, it was really nice to read a book mm-hmm. that was reflecting my own experience. Okay. And and so I, I wondered why there weren't more books like that. Okay. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to try and write my own. And it took a while. And then finally I wrote one. And um, But I never said to myself from the beginning, this is all I'm going to write. Right. It just ended up being that most of my books are about Black women. Mm-hmm. who happened to be involved with white men. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think like even now, I don't necessarily know if I even think that what I write is specifically romance because I don't really follow the sort of like the same kind of uh, pattern or, or or the the all the rules of romance. You know, it's like no. I write romantic no. fiction. Right. I write love stories. But I don't always have a happily ever after, for example. No, to me, it reads book. more like women's fiction. But that's... Yeah, and I, I think that's what I would say it, it is more more often than not. And uh, it's just that when you're trying to categorize it. Of course. When when you're trying to sell it. Publishing right. And you're trying to sell it. And you want, like, I, I can still remember the first time I listed one of my books, I thought to myself, this is more romantic women's fiction. Right. But there was no category. For romantic women's fiction That's true. on Amazon. Yeah. So I had to list it as a romance. Right. And then people were saying, but this isn't really a romance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't have any other way of listing it. I know. What's so, my category? 
and yeah. and even now it's like yeah i write love stories and and and, and then everybody says well you write romance it's like but it's not really a romance mm-hmm. it's a romantic story but it's not like a contemporary romance right so um and but i i do love romance and i i wish i could be one of those people who just writes a straightforward romance but i can't <laughs> I try. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm laughing because I, it's a conversation I have with myself all the time and I have with other authors. And somebody said to me yesterday, um, I think, I, okay, I'm going to say this. I think I may not write romance any longer. And mm-hmm. I have half of one, one book, one half of one book left. And then we'll see. But um, a friend of mine was like, well, can you just write straight romance? And I was like, every time I sit down to do it, all these other issues pop up and I don't know how to write, no matter how hard I try, yeah. I don't know how to write a book that like goes from A to Z without like meandering into like their parents, like relationship or yeah. just like other things or like his father needs to go, I, I swear to God, needs to get Alzheimer's care. And my friend looked at me, she goes, so you veered off again. And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> I did get on I think it's like it's great though now like at least like now when I'm reading romances I I read more and more of them that tackle like all these different issues and everything that I find to be interesting because I really like reading real you know a a love story or a romance that takes on social issues I know so do I that's interesting I don't want to just live in this you know this this escapism Mm -hmm. sort of world and uh and I remember one book that I wrote where I brought up, for example, racism in the book. And I talked about, like, it, it, it's uh, the one that's called um, Under the Midnight Sun, where it's about a hockey player who goes back to his hometown uh, with the, you know, the Stanley Cup. And he re- reunites with this woman he was in love with when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and she comes from an East African background and she came to Sweden as a refugee and, and now she's working with children who are orphans who right. uh, come to uh, Sweden as asylum seekers. And then, you know, and then in this book, they, they're discussing her work and, and, uh, and she's talking about like the problems that she's having getting funding for this center that she has. And some, and I remember the, a reader sending me an email and saying she didn't need my social justice warrior bullshit. Oh, that happened to me last week, actually for the first yeah. time. And oh, it's like, gosh. and then people even said this in in their reviews, like we don't, you know, I don't read romance to get a social a sociology lesson. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, okay, well then my books aren't for you. Yes, I, I that's where I came down. Although I didn't reply yeah. to readers because I don't. I mean, not those kinds of readers. But I got one of those, yeah. and she's like, I have to unsubscribe. Oh, because I talked about. Actually, I wrote the book years ago. I don't know how she just came upon it. Well, of course, mm-hmm. people just come upon it. And it was about the shooting of an unarmed black man. Um, mm-hmm. But I wrote the book four or five years ago or something. And mm-hmm. she goes, "This is this a George Floyd rant? And I was like, uh, no. And But it's a thing that happens. And it's a book that I wrote. And I, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, yeah. it's not as if it, I made, it's not as if it's not something that happens. Um, but I mean, I think it's like the, there's this tendency for people to feel like, when they they read they they just want to escape and i have nothing against that i mean there i have books that are like that that i read that i just want pure escapism and i don't want to be confronted with the realities of the world i just want to read about two people falling in love and they can live in this like perfect little bubble where nothing bad happens Mm -hmm. but i think that the more interesting romances are the ones where things happen and they're not always great things 
and uh, and the the characters grow from it. No, when, and, I, and you know, no. or it changes them in some way. And right. uh, and I don't I don't want to just read a book where, you know, it's like oh yes okay you know I get these like nice descriptions of you know oh they kissed and they did this and blah 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 and yeah yeah that's fine it's uh because I mean every I like a good love story I like when there's great passion between characters and everything right but I also want to know what's going on in their lives and if they live in a you know if you tell me this book is set in New York City and I don't hear anything about what is actually happening right in New York you know it's just like this uh, sort of Hollywood sanitized version of New York Mm mm-hmm yeah, I don't need to read that story, then that's not what I'm interested in. I I struggle with that as well. Actually, I read one romance in New York. Um, not one. I mean, I've read more than one. And everybody was driving, and she kept pulling up in front of his house. And I was like, yeah, like, oh. How, who, who drives in New York? I was like, I want to. Other I wanna, than the Uber drivers. I know. I was like, I want to live in her world where you can just pull up right to his yes. doorstep. <laughs> and so you can have this have it out with him. Because I'd be like circling around the block looking for parking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's, or like when, when you know like this person like uh, has probably never never been to New York and uh, or or uh, my favorite is like I read a, a story recently where the the author set the book in in Stockholm and I thought oh great because I you know I lived at, at that time I was still living in Stockholm and I was like oh it's so much fun to read books in Stockholm mm-hmm. and then I understood that she knew nothing about uh, Stockholm yeah. And she, it was the same, something similar where she was talking about people driving all the time. Well, most people in Stockholm, I mean, yes, people drive there, but the majority of people take public transportation. Right. You know, and uh, whether they're rich or poor or whatever, everybody uses public transportation there. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the, she wrote about this person, like having this, like, you know, a person on a teacher's salary having like practically like a palatial apartment would mm-hmm. never happen. Right. In Stockholm. It's like the most expensive city in Europe. Right. You can't afford on a teacher's salary. You can't afford that kind of apartment. Now, granted, of course, like she's like writing the fantasy, but I just and, and then the, the thing that made it even worse was like that the author had the characters using German words. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And we don't speak German in Sweden. Mm-hmm. We speak Swedish. We right. would not say Danke unless we were Germans who moved to Sweden. Right. We would say Tak. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and you don't even have to do very much. You just need to do a Google search right. to find that out. And the fact that the author hadn't even done that and had everybody speaking German and everybody had these very German sounding names. I mean, some Swedish names, yes, are German sounding, but you know, it's like, you're more likely to find somebody whose name is like Sven Lundqvist then you're going to find somebody whose name is like Johannes von Essen or something right. like that. And right. it's, I'm like thinking like, okay. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think it's like certain things like I don't want, I don't want to read the, and I'm not sitting here saying like that romance is shit. Cause I love romance right. novels. I just feel like do the research. <laughs> if you're going to set it in a foreign country. Right. Uh, and also I don't think that, that, um, just because like readers say, I don't want to read this. I don't want to read that. It's not like all readers don't want to read those things. We, yeah. we shouldn't be afraid to like, to add a lot of reality to our books. And of course, like if that's not the type of book that an author wants to write, then they don't have to write it. Right. But I, I think um, when, uh, when you have like readers that start trying to dictate to you mm-hmm. what to write, then it's a problem. 
Um, and it's something I just finished. Well, my husband read this article this morning about, it was a Swedish uh, author who said that the readers don't owe her anything just because they bought her book. Right. But in that same vein, she doesn't owe them anything either, other than telling a good story. Uh, yeah, and it's up to them to decide if they like the story that she tells and if they want to continue reading it. Right. And I kind of feel the same way. Like, I usually write, whatever I write, it's a story I'm writing because it's something I want to read. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. So true. So true. And and then I share it with everybody else if, if I like it enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then when I have sometimes people coming to me, and I, I, I think it's really nice that, you know, that they enjoyed that story and they want to hear more about that characters. But, but sometimes I feel like I've already written enough about that character mm-hmm. and now I want to do something else. So I've, I've had some people who get in touch with me and they say, well, why aren't you writing more about Lainey and Mads? Well, I have actually a bunch of stuff I've written about them that's not finished yet. Right. But I'm just not really in the mood to focus on them right now. <laughs> and then when I've had people who say, well, I'm not reading anything else that you write until you write, go back to writing about them. I can't just write about them when I have all these other stories in my head. No, we talk about this. I mean, my friends and I talk about this because there's a, there's some component versus, about artistic choice. And mm-hmm. um, I I have two characters that, um, not in romance, but in crime fiction that people ask me about all the time. And I'm like, they, that's done. Like, I literally don't know what happened to them. But it's like, hopefully mm-hmm. they're well. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm so much more interested in telling the stories of the new people that have come into my head. And I'm glad that you found them compelling or stimulating, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go on with that. I mean, she had, you know, bad things happen to her, two of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've resolved it in that, you know, in that sphere, but I'm not that interested in telling that story. Again, I'm interested in, look at these new people I have in my head. Come on. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But that's so interesting. So I have a question for you because I mm-hmm. think the last time we talked, um, you were taking a writing hiatus and then mm-hmm. I look up one day and you have a new book yeah, <laughs> and, well, I, and I was like, I, I was like, how did I not know this? Not that I need to, not that you know, <laughs> I just, I literally, I was like, how did I not know this? And I, but also well, you know, in different time to, zones too right now. It's a different time zones, but it's also, you know, like when I was taking that hiatus, I, I mean, at, I went for like so many months without writing anything and I wasn't even really, I mean, every now and then I would send out a newsletter right. and tell people, hey, this is what's going on. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I mean, it was like after, you know, my, my brother, when he passed away at the beginning of uh, 2019, mm-hmm. it was kind of like the culmination of just so many things that were happening. And I felt like I I just can't write right now. Right. I mean, it was like I left a really awful, toxic workplace Mm -hmm. um, uh, where that sort of was killing my joy of writing. And then I lost several people close to me uh, in just too closely Mm -hmm. to one another. It was like I had a friend who just died suddenly, another friend who like I think it was like a month later another friend who passed away and then a month after that another friend passed away and then my brother passed mm-hmm. away and I just felt like I was shell-shocked so uh when and I thought it was I kept thinking I can write my way through the grief because that's what I did when my, my dad passed away mm-hmm. in 2012 right but I realized that this time I just could because I was still dealing with all of the sort of 
PTSD, I guess you could say, that I had from the work situation. Right, right. And then trying to, to sort of deal with like my friends who passed away and then getting hit with my brother dying and he died the day before my birthday. Mm-hmm. So it was just like when my mother called me and told me your brother passed away, I kind of felt like this huge gaping hole just opened up inside of me and it ate away the joy of everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, and at the time I was work trying to finish a book and I just lost interest in it and I didn't write for months. Mm -hmm. And then um, I just, one day I just realized like, I got to get out of this. I mean, grief, I started going through grief counseling and that helped. Right. And, uh, and then I just threw myself into a lot of reading. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of what pulled me back into writing again, because at one point I was thinking about quitting writing completely other than just doing the copywriting I do for my day job. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I felt like I didn't have anything left to give. And I didn't know that. I I just felt like I I have zero interest in writing. I don't know the, the voice inside of me that was urging me to write was just not speaking to me. Right. Uh, and, uh, and then I started getting, one day I just started getting the ideas again. Oh, wow. And I started feeling like now I want to write again. So I started, uh, I think, uh, I, I think it was it in 2019 when I decided, okay, I'm going to try and do NaNoWriMo again. And I, I did it, but I didn't manage to finish it. Okay. Um, but I got a really good beginning Mm -hmm. of the story. And I managed to get like, I didn't make it to 50K. I think I made it to like 35. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I'm still working on. And then I, uh, 2020, I finished NaNoWriMo, uh, or I at least crossed the 50K line. That book is like, it's up at 70K now. Right. Um, and it's still not quite done, but I have the feeling I will be done with that one soon. But this other one, the one that I released now, is um, it started off as a serial that I uh, wrote back in 2018, I think it was. And then I set it aside. And I kept saying to myself, I'm going to expand this story. Mm -hmm. And then I I sat down and I read all the parts to it. And I just started realizing how much I loved that story. Right. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to continue working on this one and keep tweaking it and tweaking it until I get it to really the place where I want it to be. And... uh, I sent it out to some of the people in my readers group just and asked them like, okay, have a go at it. Tell me what you think, what you think's missing from it. So I got some feedback from them and I kept working on it. And then I sent it to my freelance editor that I, I always work with and she gave me some good feedback. And, and then I just felt like after a while, like, okay, there's not much more I can do to this. Right. I really like this story. I feel like a lot of people would like it. And then when I had, when I was uh, still writing it as a serial and I had it in, in Kindle Unlimited, I, uh, you know, it was like, it wasn't like this huge success there, but mm-hmm. I was always getting email from people who told me how much they liked it. Uh, okay. I did see the serial in your newsletter. Okay. Now I feel like, okay, I'm back now. I got it. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> so then that was when I just decided like, okay, now like I, it, I compiled it. I got it to the point where I felt like this is a really nice short novel. Let's just go ahead and release this because it had been so long since I'd released anything other than a couple of short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt like I, I just have to do this. I have to dip my toe mm-hmm. back into the publishing world and see how it goes. And so 
I released it in April and it, it's been doing pretty well so far. I mean, it's like, you know, it's still not like a big bestseller, but mm-hmm. it's, it's making me happy when I look at my sales report. So what so, is it about? Um, cause I, I, I'm not going to try to recreate my newsletter history in my head. <laughs> it starts out, I mean, you have these, this, we have Nick who is a, a widower. Um, he is trying to get his life back on track, uh, but he's still dealing with a lot of demons connected with the death of his wife and his two daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just kind of kept to himself since he left Boston and moved to Richmond. And he's been, uh, he's really had a hard time with returning to Boston to see his family because he's just too haunted. He's still haunted by the the ghosts of his wife and his daughters Mm -hmm. and it's it's not necessarily like actual physical ghosts it's more like the guilt that he feels right right. about how he how they died right and then uh then you have keisha who is um, a former ballerina Mm -hmm. who had been living in europe and uh one of her exes uh happens to be in london at one point and they meet up and he convinces her that she should move back to the States so they can give it another go. Mm -hmm. Except when she arrives, he's already moved on with somebody else. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So she meets Nick at a point when she's really like, she's got no place else to go. Mm -hmm. And he offers her a chance, you know, he's like, okay, you can use the, the guest house that I have. Oh, is, are they a captive romance? I'm sorry. I love people who are, <laughs> I like close proximity. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, because look, you you can't stop seeing each other. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> and so this is what happens. I mean, it starts off that the two of them, like she's trying to get her life back on track. He's trying to get his life back on track and they establish this friendship and then it becomes, Oh, I know what I'm doing tonight. Like, <laughs> I'm so okay. I'm super excited. I'm super excited. Okay, and there's um, a dog in it called Rufus, who I love. Oh, um, Rufus was my um <laughs> my my grandmother's first husband's name, but that's a different conversation <laughs> altogether. So I don't know if I have a good association with that. I can just say he he's a you know he's a cantankerous uh, border terrier. Oh, I had he, one of those. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So see, I think you'll like this. Rufus. I okay. I'm so excited. Okay. okay. <laughs> different conversation I I, (laughs) but it was like you know it was funny because that was the first book that I'd set in the states Mm -hmm. in a very long time Mm -hmm. I think the last book that I set in the states was actually the very first novel that I released and that was Snowbound which is set in a fictional town in Vermont okay and then after that everything's been set in uh in either Sweden or Denmark. Right. Yes. That, yes. Because I guess those and, books I read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so then uh, when when uh, the idea for uh, near enough to hold came and it was like this, I was so sure like the setting was going to be here in Europe. And then all of a sudden, like I started thinking about hot, sticky summer nights mm-hmm. in Virginia. Right. And the kind of downpours that you get there mm-hmm. and the thunderstorms. And I just felt like, yeah, it has to be there. No, that's true. Okay, sorry. Okay, I'm gonna. That's a different conversation. So, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty excited. Um, so what is next for you? So you're gonna finish up other stories, and are those yeah. gonna be set? Uh, well, here where I am now, or there where you are now? <laughs> well, actually, one of them that I'm working on it, it's another standalone in the Maybe series, but mm-hmm. it's 
it's about uh, a different set of characters mm -hmm. and that one the story starts in Copenhagen and then continues in Matera actually ah okay <laughs> so that's what that one I'm about maybe 65 70 percent Oh, Matera is such a pretty backdrop for a story. Yeah, okay. It is, mm -hmm. it is. And, and you'll recognize so many people <laughs> in it because uh, Area Otto is in there. Oh, and, so funny. And uh, Cafe uh, Ridola is oh. in there. And uh, yeah, there's like, you know, the Piazza del Cidia and yes. so many other places. Oh, that's so, yeah. so funny. I can see it in my head right now. <laughs> okay. That's that's hilarious. So, the, so that one um, I'm working on, that, that's also, I'm hoping to finish that one pretty soon because I would like to release that one in the autumn. Mm -hmm. uh, I also I have another book uh, that I'm also working on that is uh, actually that one's set in the States, but it returns to the same fictional town in Vermont that okay. Snowbound was right. set in because I had always planned on that there should be more books that were set in, in that town. Mm -hmm. And I just never got around to finishing any of them. No, it's something because I got yeah. ideas for other stuff. No, but it's something I like about authors because what we end up doing, like, okay, so I don't think that the majority of the of us do like Harry Potter level world building, but when you still read authors, you find out they do build a world. So yeah. you know, even though the books are standalone or whatever, they do have like a world, and yeah. people come back to different places in their world. Um, mm -hmm. And I really sort of like that. And actually, I enjoy it as an author. And every so often, a reader will be like oh, hey, I just got it. Like you set this in there and you set this in there, even though they're completely unrelated. I'm like, yes, it's all, the, it's me. It's all the same. Um, but it's rare, but I, but I enjoy it. Because to me, it's just my world and I have a notebook and it's just my world. And so like I have an evil corporation that's called Strohmeyer and they're the evil corporation in every book, you know, um, no matter what the genre. So, because it's just those bad Strohmeyers. Um <laughs> They just kill. They're you with impunity. They're poisoning people in this book and killing people in the brewery in that book. It's awful. <laughs> uh, and you know, <laughs> but I, I do love them. So, um, but I do like that sort of element where you can just oh, you can do what you want. I mean, I don't know what to say. There's like the freedom to do what you want and return where you want and visit who you mm -hmm. want um, mm -hmm. in your own well, in my own head or in your own head. Yeah. Um, but I, I do love that element of world building. So um, I'm going to have to go soon. I told you this before because um, mm -hmm. COVID has changed everything in my schedule. Um, yeah. So normally I don't have to go anywhere, but alas. So where can people find you? Or where oh, are God. you most? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like lately, I've been on Twitter a lot. Oh, you're so. back. We're all back. Well, maybe so. I know, you know, and I, I'm not really sure what lured me back to Twitter. Well, actually, I do know. It started off that um, uh, I was talking to a couple of other writers, and they were like, "Oh, you should just join, and we can have some nice chats there because mm -hmm. we don't like Facebook that much anymore." Right. And I was like, "Okay." So I came. I went there, and then I got pulled into because I really like Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, and. I ended up just chatting with lots of people about them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm on, I'm on Twitter, and so people can find me there as Kimmy GM. Okay. And uh, and then I'm on Instagram because I love Instagram. We uh, Who doesn't? It's so pretty. Sorry. Yeah, so there's Kim Golden Books. Okay. And so if people want to search for me as Kim Golden Books, says all with one word, they can find me there. But I'm also still on Facebook. Okay. And and, uh, and then then they can find me there if they just look up Kim Golden or if they look up C Kim Wright, mm -hmm. they'll find me there. 
So, uh, and I have my, my, uh, my website as well. Uh, but also, I mean, they can find all of my books at pretty much any online retailer. Right. So I'll include all this in the show notes because um, I follow you. Um, so <laughs> this will not be like some huge burden in my life to seek you out and find you. Um, and I do love the you cover. You know for... where to find me. I do. And I, I do. I want to say I love the cover for Near Enough to Hold. And um, is that a Camber Designs cover or no? Why do I think no, it is? No, I actually designed it myself. <gasps> okay, okay. <laughs> it's beautiful. Like, you and know, you did a really good you. job. A <laughs> really you. good job. You know, I, really like... Like, I think it's because like, uh, as a copywriter, I'm always working with art directors and graphic designers. Oh, right. So you start learning a lot about like what works yeah. on a book cover. Design and is that mine, was yeah. like that was the thing for me. Like uh, when I was working on that one, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a graphic designer and asking her for advice. Mm-hmm. And so she gave me advice on like the typography to think about and what type of image would be a good image to capture the feel if I didn't want to have people on the right. cover. And and I felt like, yeah, okay. Cause I, I, I felt like I wasn't finding the right type of images of couples right. to have. And I just thought, I just want to capture the mood. But I think you did a really good job and it fits really well with your whole aesthetic. Um, so, okay. I'm, I'm impressed. And that's a different conversation. <laughs> I'll have to ask you for another time, but you're close yeah. to your bedtime, or at least for my bedtime when I'm in Europe. Um, <laughs> maybe you stay up later than I do. I, you know, my child. Sometimes will... I do. I'm actually like, I was, I was so sure I was going to go like go to bed early tonight, but I still feel like pretty energetic. So I think I'm going to be up for a while watching some stuff on Netflix. Aren't we all? Um, <laughs> cause that's my plan for tonight to be frank. Actually, although your book, your book made Trump. So, um, I have to, I have to go get in my car, but then I'll run, I'll one click when I get back, but yes. thank you so, so much for talking. Um, oh, you're welcome. And thank you for inviting me. This was so much fun. Yeah. And so, well, I don't know if I'll see you this summer. I don't know. I don't know about the travel well, between countries. Crossed. Yeah, I know. They're talking about, you know, having a brainstorming in Matera in September. So if I'm vaccinated by then, I'm definitely going. Oh, I'm fully vaccinated. Okay, different conversation. So we'll have that different conversation later. That's another one. (laughs) Um, But thank you so, so much and have a great night. Thanks, you too. Okay. Bye. Bye. This has been A Time to Thrill with me, your host, author, Amy Austin. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It will help others to find and listen to my conversations with brilliant creators. Also, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. In addition to hosting this podcast, I'm also the author of the Casey Court series of legal thrillers. They're available wherever books are sold, your local library, and also an audiobook. You can follow me on Instagram at ThrillerPod, find me on Facebook at Casey Court Series, or A Time to Thrill. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with you soon with more great conversations.